0: Amen. You may be seated. Welcome. Uh, My name is Robert. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy House, and I want to welcome all of you. We have some guests that came for the pageant. Glad to see you guys, some grandparents here, Uh, but also some students that are in the middle of finals, or you're almost in in finals. So I'm glad glad that you guys are here. Um, We are finishing up Deuteronomy today. Some of you are excited about that. (laughs) Ha, ha, some some applause. Um, uh, Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. All right. Um, Last words, right? I mean, Deuteronomy, in a lot of ways, is Moses' last words. Like, this is the last sermon. He knows he's going to die. He knows that the Lord's not going to allow him to go into the promised land. And so this is his last shot as sort of the pastor of Israel to give them the last words and uh, he is told by God to give some of those last words in the form of a song. That's a pretty amazing, innovative way to make sure that Israel remembers what they're being told. We said a couple of weeks ago that God instructed Moses to tell the people that when they get in the Promised Land, they're supposed to erect a a memorial, they're supposed to put an altar, build an altar and sacrifice to it, They're supposed to do all these things that are going to help them remember what what has been told to them uh, inside this this covenant and the terms of this covenant. And so the song is part of that remembrance of what God has told them in Deuteronomy. And again, that makes a lot of sense because we remember what we we sing. So we're going to play a little game here. I'm going to sing half of a little jingle and you're going to finish it for me, okay? All right? The best part of waking up is, yeah. And like a good neighbor, I don't want to grow up. Nationwide is, see, it works. (laughs) It works. Uh, Marketers know that. Uh, You know, you hear these jingles and, and sometimes you're like, that is so cheesy. But it's like a, you know, an earworm that's kind of in, in your brain there that, that is reminding you of these things that they want you to never forget. And so this song, which I don't know if it was on the top 40 or not, but this song <laughs> by Moses is to help them to remember. So uh, they are to remember at least six things out of this song, and so we're going we're gonna to go pretty quickly through this because we uh, don't have as much time as usual for sermon. Uh, Number one, they are to remember that God is known by His Word. And I'm looking at chapter 33 here. This is where the actual song is. So go ahead and grab uh, your Bible there on the floor, under the chairs, or on your uh, phone. It'll help you to follow along. I'm going to read through sections of this song and just comment briefly about each section. So it'll help if you can follow along. Deuteronomy 33, fifth book of the Bible. We're almost, I'm sorry, 32, Deuteronomy 32, verse 1, and this is, remember that God is known by His Word. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb. So he's letting them know that obviously the, the words that Moses is speaking are the very words of God, and he's saying that those words bring life, right? They, they bring life like water brings life. And he has this uh, image, and you're going to notice in this song, there are very, many powerful images. It's very creative. It's very different than a lot of the other chapters in Deuteronomy. It's, it's obviously a, sort of a different genre that he's using here to communicate God's truth, but he communicates this this beautiful image of grass, drinking up the dew, drinking up the rain, and and it's causing this life to spring forth. He's saying that God's Word is essential for spiritual life. You cannot live without it. You will become spiritually dehydrated. Think about dehydration. When you're without water, what happens, right? You're losing water through your sweat and urination, and you're not replacing water by drinking water. Your kidneys begin to conserve water, and they uh, cease to, to express water, and therefore then the toxins start to build up. Eventually, you then have the breakdown of your organs. It's, it's serious, serious uh, business. And spiritual dehydration, it's serious, serious business. It has a serious effect on you. When you're not exposed to God's Word, you're not encountering God, and therefore you're becoming spiritually dehydrated. So Moses reminds them, you need God's Word. This is the means by which you encounter God. And they need to hear that because they've been seeing God in concrete expressions, right? They've been seeing the miraculous. Uh, That's not God's usual mode of operation where He is showing these, these very like laser light show type miracles, right? And so this generation uh, that that Moses has led in the desert and into the Promised Land, they're seeing the laser light show, but he's letting them know that's not going to be his mode of operation as they move into the Promised Land. That the primary means of of them relating with God is going to be God's Word. And so again, that, that, that they would remember that God is encountered through His Word. Number two, they are to remember that God is the center of everything. Verse three says, "For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, His work is perfect. For all His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is He." He lets them know that this word that they're studying is not just just a code, it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. This word is how they know God and God is at the center of everything. And the image that he uses is that of a rock, that he is the rock. You may say, well, God, is a rock. That's kind of weird. Well, think think about it. He is immovable, right? He is foundational. Uh, This lighthouse picture that many of you probably have seen is hanging in my uh, living room, and it was built in 1904. It's off the coast of France, and this picture was taken in 1989, in the midst of a horrible storm uh, and you can see the lighthouse keeper stepping out on the stoop in the front, outside the front door looking up at the helicopter that's taking the picture and he was thinking it was a rescue helicopter but it was some photographer trying to get a picture of a storm and so he steps out endangering himself looks out sees that it's, it's, a, it's a helicopter with a photographer goes back in closes the door and weathers the storm and he's fine and the lighthouse continues to this day right? why because it's built on a rock. It's built on a rock. And no amount of, of, of storm, rain, wind has, has moved this thing throughout the decades of his life. God is a rock. He's a rock. Uh, he's, he, he's a rock in terms of him uh, being righteous and true and holy, both in his person and in his work. Right? Right? Who he is is perfectly consistent with what he does and what he says. He says his ways are justice. Right? It's a strange way of, of saying that. But he's saying the reason that things are just is because they're consistent with who God is. God is just. That's why there is such a thing as justice. It's because it's consistent with the character of God. Um, this is what we desire in Our leaders, right? our our politicians, our pastors, our professors, we we want them to be consistent both in who they are and what they do. And when what they do is revealing something that we don't like in regards to who they are, it frustrates us. It angers us. We want them to be a rock, but they're not. (laughs) But God is. God is a rock. He's immovable. He's unshakable. He has found He's just, faithful, he is sinless, upright. Number three, we're to remember that humans, apart from God, are corrupt. Verse 5 says, they've dealt corruptly with him. They're no longer his children because they are blemished. They're crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you? and established you? He lets them know. Humans, again, left to their own devices, are corrupt, they're blemished, they're crooked, they're twisted, they're senseless. He uses all these descriptors. But worst of all, he talks about their identity being no longer children of God. Saying they were once being created by God, His children, and, and now have lost that identity and are no longer His children. They too have a, a person And a work, and that person and that work are consistent, and they are corrupt. Both the identity and the expressions of that identity. Again, it uses the 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 image of an estranged child, and this estranged child is not estranged because the parent estranged the child; it's because the child has estranged him or herself. When I looked at this picture, I was thinking, uh, kind of, what the narrative that went with that picture, right? As a parent, I think I'm pretty sure what happened. Right, this, 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 this little boy was playing, and everything seemed to be going great with friends and family, and then the boy got upset and decided, I'm going to take this ball, and I'm going to have the ball all to myself. And then he was all by himself. And this is kind of the, the story of human beings, where they were created in perfect relationship with God and self and others, and then they decided, I'm going to take my ball, and I'm going to play with it by myself. And they estrange themselves from God because of their sin against God. But again, not just an outward uh, action, but an inward identity that is corrupt. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, says the Psalms. But a fool also says in their heart that they are inherently good. That is not true. That since the fall, human beings have been corrupt. They are bent. And this is something that Moses' song reminds the Israelites. Number four, the song reminds them that God is good. God is good. Starting in verse 7, "'Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father. He will show you. Your elders, they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings and catching them. "'Bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. "'No foreign god was with him. "'He made him ride on the high places of the land, "'and he ate the produce of the field. "'He suckled him with honey out of the rock "'and oil out of the flinty rock, "'curds from the herd, milk from the flock "'with the fat of lambs, rams of Bashan, "'and goats with the very finest of the wheat. "'And you drank foaming wine made from the blood.' of the great. All a description of the goodness of God toward Israel. He describes this creating of all peoples and sort of the, the portioning out of different lands for different peoples, and, but, but then taking Israel and, and, and rescuing Israel out of the wilderness and, and drawing Israel close. And he uses these images to communicate how good God has been both to protect and to provide for Israel. So one of these descriptors is the apple of the eye, right? The pupil thats what it's talking about. There's no body part probably on your person that you're not more protective of than the apple of your eye. I mean, it doesn't take but a nanosecond for you to close your eye, to, to cover your eye, to move your head when something is threatening your eye. And the song is communicating, God feels that way about Israel, protecting Israel. Also uses this image of an eagle protecting her eaglets. Right? One of the ways that a uh, mother eagle trains an eaglet to fly k- kicks them out of the nest. If you know anything about eagles' nests, they're pretty high. Kicks them out of the nest and they start free-falling and kind of learning to, to, to fly. And then just before they hit, the mom comes underneath and picks them up and catches them on their wings, puts them back in the nest. Let's them grow up a little bit more, tries it again, right, until they, until they fly. But this is this loving picture of God, loving, training, uh, working with uh, Israel. So protection, but not only that provision, right? It says honey and oil from the rock, curds from the herd, milk from the flock, wine from the blood of grapes. It, it, it's this description of something comes from something, right? We know that uh, something always comes from something, and so he describes these situations. Now, what, what doesn't add up here? It's like an SAT question, like, okay, uh, wine does come from grapes, and milk does come from flock, and herd comes from, uh, curds come from the herd. What doesn't come from a rock? Honey and oil, that doesn't fit, right? But who's the rock? It's God. And what he's saying is every good thing that Israel has came from God, It came from the rock. And he's he's letting them know that all all these good things that Israel is about to have in their possession when they go across the Jordan River and into the Promised Land, these come directly from God. Number five, he wants them to remember that God judges sin. Verse 15 says, But jasharun, jasharun means upright, it's like a nickname for Israel, Grew fat and kicked, you grew fat and stout and sleek, and then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods they'd come recently, whom your fathers had, ne- who had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you. And you forgot the God who gave you birth? The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of His sons and His daughters. And He said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children whom is no faithfulness. They've made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols, so I will make them jealous with those who are no people? I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. He reminds them, God judges sin, right? He's letting them know that it, when you go across the Jordan, you're going to be tempted to get fat. Right? Uh, to, to for Israel to go across the Jordan and start to enjoy all the blessings and benefits that they're being given, and they're going to forget that those blessings and benefits have come from God. They're going to begin to think that they're entitled to those things. Right? This is the, the, the bent of human beings, right? of, of, of fallen human beings. We, we feel entitled to what we have, and we feel discontent for what we don't have. That's our, that's our natural bent, and He's warning Israel. When you get into the promised land, you're going to start leaning this, this direction. You're going to have a propensity to feel entitled and, and discontent, and letting them know that at the root of that entitlement and discontent is false worship that they're forgetting that every good thing is coming from the rock, right? It's coming from God. And now that they're they're not just beginning to sin, they're shifting away from the worship of the one true God to worship of idols. And so when, again, we sin, there's more going on than just, oh, we broke the code, we've turned away from God. And when we repent, it's more than returning back to a code It's returning to God. It's a relational picture. And so he reminds them of the reality that that when they sin, they're they're turning away from God and that is is worthy of judgment. And you hear that judgment described as God spurning them, hiding His face from them. You get this feeling of, 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 of separation, which is what sin results in. Sin's in a separation between human beings and God, but the image that he uses the most is, is anger right and uh, verse twenty two for a fire is kindled by my anger fire the most destructive force they knew of in the ancient world it 's pretty destructive now we've been seeing lots of pictures like this one of of the results of fire going through neighborhoods out west that that is just utterly destructive and, and uh, this this one says that the, the fire that's kindled goes down as deep as Sheol, the place of the dead. Like this judgment is not just a, a temporal judgment. It's a judgment that's eternal kind of a judgment. And he describes this, this fire that's burning down to Sheol, burning the foundations of the mountain. It's like a, you've got no place to run, no place to hide from this judgment. And why would that be, right? You're like, well, God, why can't you just get over it, right? Why, why can't you just say, it's no big deal, like, like the, I, I'm God, I'm, I'm bigger than you, I, I can handle this. Well, in order to do that, he, he will have to absorb a cost, right? just like that, that fire picture there. Let's say I walked into the police station in, uh, in, in Santa Rosa, California, which is where that neighborhood was, and I walked in the police station and said, uh, just want to let you guys know, uh, I started that fire and I was smoking a cigarette, and I put it in the bushes, and it started the fire, and it totally destroyed the neighborhood. I'm really sorry, right? And for them to have like a neighborhood meeting and say, "Hey, this is the guy that started it. This, this, this is the guy who totally torched your entire neighborhood. What should we do?" And for them to say to me, "I forgive you. It's okay. We let you. We let you off the hook. You, you don't. You don't have to pay anything." It's you're forgiven. In order for them to do that, they would have to absorb a very high cost, right? And, and this is this is what would have to happen for God, right, to to just forgive human beings, is He would have to absorb the cost, which brings us to the, the last point, right? We we remember that God will save his people. God will save his people. This good, this just God will make a way for salvation. Verse 36, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their power is gone and that there is none remaining, bond or free, then he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge? who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there's none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries. And will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood. My sword shall devour flesh. With the blood of the slain and the captives. From the long-haired enemies. heads of the enemy. Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods. For he avenges the blood of his children. He takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him. And cleanses his people's land. He's describing. God protecting and rescuing the people of Israel from their adversaries. And he's using the image of God as a warrior. I know that's, that's hard for modern ears to hear, but that's what he's doing. He's, he's, he's talking about God as a warrior, taking up a sword, taking up a bow and arrow, and going against the enemies of his people. Now, you'd be thinking, wait a minute. I thought God was judging his people. Is he he judging the people? Is he saving the people? What's what's going on here? And and what we see in in God's covenant relationship with Israel is that he disciplines Israel, but he also defends them. He disciplines them, but he defends them. Right? He provides for them. He protects. He's a good parent. That's what parents do. Those of you that are parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you can be having a really rough day with your child and, and be correcting them and, 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 and giving consequences, and you're just like, "I'm just up to here with this kid, right? But if anybody tried to hurt that kid, you would give your life for that kid. And this is indeed exactly what God does for His people. It's just He calls them out on their sin, on their idol worship. And, and even that is loving because we weren't created to be idol worshipers. We were created to be God worshipers, right? This, this, this is putting us in, in contact with the Lord and giver of life, the rock from whom all, all these blessings flow of, of, of knowing Him and, and, and enjoying Him and serving Him and worshiping Him. And so He disciplines Israel in order to bring them back to, to repentance, to restoration. And He does that by going to war against their enemies. And the ultimate enemies are sin and death and hell. Those, those enemies that God goes after in the Old Testament are prefiguring spiritual enemies that are way scarier than the Philistines. <laughs> Way scarier, because they have eternal consequences. The fire of that judgment goes down to Sheol. And God is willing to do whatever it takes, give His own life in order to rescue us from those enemies. So some things to remember for us. So I think these apply to us as well, right? Remember that God is known by His Word, right? That, that's, that's why we open up the Bible every week. When you come here on Sunday, we open up the Bible. We talk about the Bible because we, we believe God reveals Himself through His Word. This is why we encourage people to be in small group Bible studies. This is why we encourage you to have some kind of a daily devotional time where you yourself are taking in God's Word. It's because we, but this is how the, the primary means that God uses to, to bring you into relationship with Him and to keep that relationship going. Otherwise, you become spiritually dehydrated, you need this Word just like you need water every day. And so I want to encourage you as we move into 2018, if, you, if you're not already on a regular basis taking in God's Word, to, to make some kind of a, of a fresh new step to take in that Word. Right? I use the YouVersion app. It's got all kinds of reading plans. It'll notify you. It, huge help. Or whatever it is you use. But if you're not, taking in God's Word on a regular basis. I'm telling you, this, this, this is where it all begins, this understanding of who God is, conviction of sin, the goodness of the gospel, all these things will be, re- you'll be reminded of those things on a daily basis if you're in His Word. One short way you could get into the, the, the Bible is to read Acts between January 1st and January 28th. Okay, there's 28 chapters in Acts. I'm going to preach on Acts, the first, first part of Acts next uh, semester. And so why not on January 1st start reading Acts chapter 1 and then January 2, chapter 2, and then on the 28th we'll start Acts. And you will have read all 28 chapters. You you will have explored those and studied those and thought about those, and then we'll be ready to go uh, on January 28th. We should remember that God is the center of everything. Just like Israel, we need to be reminded of that. God is the rock. I know, is anybody feeling unstable right now, <laughs> right? It's, it, it's sort of like we go through life, we've got a good leg and a bad leg, right? And the good leg is when we're on the solid rock, right? We're living by faith. But, but for some reason, we keep leaning and putting our weight on the bad leg, which is all those other things we trust in. And when we're shifted over to the bad leg, we, we feel unstable and we wonder why that is. And sometimes we, we fall and then, and then we go, oh, no, no, back on the, to, the, to the good leg, Right? Back on the rock. This is probably why we gather every week, is to be reminded, stay off that bad leg. Right? D- don't, don't try to trust in things other than, than God as your ultimate foundation. So we need to be reminded of that, to, to trust in the rock. Right? He is the rock. He is foundational. He is unshakable. We need to be uh, reminded that as human beings, apart from God, we're corrupt. We are corrupt. And again, it's, it's that propensity to lean on that bad leg. This seems to be where we, we, we want to go. And so to be reminded that that is our propensity. And so to, 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 if we know that is, is our bent to, to, to be in God's Word and to be renewing our mind about who the rock is and what He does and His calling on our life. And the reason we were able to do that is because we were reminded that God is good. God is good. Christians, Some Christians do this little phrase where they say, God is good, and then the people say, all the time, and then the person says, all the time, and then you say, yeah. And it sounds like good, right? Why do they say that? Well, p- partly it's, it's a theological truth that we need to be reminded of on a consistent basis because when things are not going well, we start to think God is not good. And He is good whether things are going well or things are, are not going well. No matter what, He is good. Right? And we know that ultimately because of the cross. He has shown that He is good because of His death on the cross for sinners like us. You hear this logic in Romans 8, verse 32. The Apostle Paul says, "...He did not spare His own Son..." But gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I love that logic. Here we're, we're trying to trust God for some daily provision or uh, some wisdom for something we're trying to figure out or some protection or something that we're working through. And we're like, I don't know if you're good, God. And God's like, What? <laughs> Have you looked at the cross lately? I'm good. I've proven it beyond the shadow of a doubt, so trust it no matter what, right? Which is partly why we, we go off that good leg and go on the bad leg, is because we don't trust that God is good, because things are hard or we're, we're, we're confused or whatever. But no, we, we need to be reminded, no, go back to the good leg, trust in the rock, right? And all that kind of culminates together these next two, where we also need to be, be reminded that God judges sin. Sin matters to God. There would be no cross if sin didn't matter. <laughs> you think about the remedy that has to be uh, offered up by Jesus for sin. It, it, it make, makes you aware that God's sin is really serious. Right? If you're taking chemotherapy, it must be a really serious condition that you have, right? So, so if the remedy for sin and its effects is the cross, the death of the divine Son of God, it, it's serious. It's serious. And so confessing sin and taking sin seriously and realizing that sin under, underneath sin is really disbelief in God. It's false worship of something else. It's that moving over to, to, to the bad leg, Right? Worshipping false idols. And to be reminded of, of that, that. I think most of us want to believe there's like a third party we can vote for, right? Spiritually speaking. Where, where, where we're like, well, I, I, no, I'm not an idol worshiper, but I'm not all in. I'm not all in trusting in the rock. I'm voting for a third party. There is no third party. Not in the spiritual world. It's either or. Either you're trusting in the rock or you're an, an idol worshiper. And so he's he's constantly calling us to this all-in worship of God. And and as a a Christian, you're you're constantly confessing that that move towards uh, wanting to worship something else, wanting to trust in something else, and the Holy Spirit just graciously reminding us day in, day out. No, you're going on a bad leg. Go back to trusting in the rock. And then finally, to remember that God saves his people. He saves His people. Why does He do that? Because He's good and He's just. He's good and He's just. Because He's good and He's just, He makes a way for us to be saved. He he, he makes a way for sin to be atoned for, for it to be paid for, and for us to be given the free gift of forgiveness and new life in Christ. And He's done that uh, at a high cost. So one of the ways that we can think about this this supper as we come to this, and we are reminded of of Jesus on the night in which he's betrayed, taking bread and breaking it, giving it to his disciples and saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he takes the cup, and after he blessed the cup, he gave it to them saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Partly what Jesus is saying is that very next day, he is going to war. And He is going to fight and defend us. And He's going to go against the enemies of sin and death and hell. And He is going to beat them. And because of that, we can be saved. (laughs) Saved from that corruption that every human being has. We can be forgiven of that. We can be washed clean of that. We can be given power to overcome it. And yes, we, we, we are kind of this back and forth as we confess and grow in maturity and learn more what it means to, 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 to lean on the rock. But, but we have been given by grace this new identity as children of God. And so we need to be reminded of that every time we come to this table. And for some of you, this may be the first time where. Maybe it's clicking for you. You're like, oh, okay, I, I get it. I need forgiveness through Christ on the cross. I would encourage you, receive that free gift this morning by faith. It'd be a great Christmas present. It'd be the best Christmas present you ever got. Is new life in Christ, given to you by grace, through faith, this morning as you receive that. If you want to talk more about that, I'd be happy to talk about that after the service or maybe in the back here in a minute. But for the rest who are are Christ followers, I want to encourage you to remember this God, this God who reveals Himself through His Word, this, this God who is the rock, this God who has made a way for us to be forgiven of sin and made children of God because He saved us. Let's pray. Lord, we give You thanks for being a God who refreshes us like rain on grass, a God who is a rock and can be trusted with our life, both this life and the life to come, a God who uh, loves us, who provides for us, who gives us everything we need, both in this life and the life to come. You are a, a good and caring God, a God who is upright and true and just. Uh, Lord, there, there are, are so many things we have to be grateful for. And so, let Lord, help us in this moment of taking the bread and the cup, these simple things. Lord, help us to be reminded of these truths and to be invigorated, to be refreshed, to be founded on your rock in an even greater way, perhaps, than we did when we came in the door this morning. And we ask you to bless the cup and the bread God, make this a time of of sweet communion with you and with one another. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.